Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care Podcast. It is with trepidation that I approach any topic that involves negative feedback loops of endocrine control, as I really struggle to keep it all straight in my head. But today I'm going to try and cover the basics of calcium in the critically ill from O chapter 63. We'll start with some very basic physiology here. 99% of the calcium is held in the bones. Of the calcium not in the bones, most of the rest is in the cells. And so as an important starter, the serum level of calcium does not tell us very much at all about the overall levels in the body. In the plasma itself, 50% is ionised, 40% is plasma bound, and 10% is chelated to various anions. And there's a large gradient between the ionised calcium in the plasma and the tiny ionised fraction in the cells. Finally then, the ionised fraction is the active bit and the determining factor of endocrine regulation. So at a level somewhat beyond the medical student knowledge level, calcium is controlled as follows. So a low serum calcium stimulates parathyroid hormone, this in turn stimulates osteoclastic activity and renal reabsorption. It also stimulates renal production of calcitriol, which is an active metabolite of vitamin D, which encourages gut absorption of calcium. All of these things tend to increase the serum calcium level. Calcitonin produced by the thyroid acts as a kind of parathyroid hormone antagonist, dampening things down a bit if the calcium level gets a bit high. So now let's turn to hypercalcemia, a fairly common diagnostic issue in the ICU. The major causes to consider here are malignancy, and that's both from bony mets themselves and probably um, more commonly from parathyroid hormone-related peptide um, that certain forms of malignancy produce, and this can mimic um, parathyroid hormone activity in raising the calcium. Uh, secondly, high calcium can come actually following hypocalcemia, and this can occur in the context of pancreatitis and recovery from rhabdomyolysis. Um, certainly, thirdly, primary hyperparathyroidism um, certainly occurs with a degree of frequency we sometimes see, and then you have to think about granulomatous diseases such as sarcoid as well. Management of high calcium involves kind of two main steps. One is increasing urinary excretion of calcium, and this can be done either with fluids alone or fluids and loop diuretics. Though it should be added that the addition of a loop diuretics is somewhat controversial, as loops themselves have been known to cause hypercalcemia. Um, your second kind of real um, angle of approach to hypercalcemia involves reducing calcium reabsorption from bone. And this can be done in a variety of ways. It can be done with bisphosphonates working by inhibiting osteoclasts. It can be done using calcitonin, which inhibits osteoclasts and reduces renal reabsorption of calcium. And steroids can be helpful by reducing gut absorption and inhibit- inhibiting the inflammatory production of calcitriol. Finally on the list is denosumab, which as the name suggests is a monoclonal that prevents bone reabsorption. Hypocalcemia, on the other hand, produces quite a prolonged differential that includes things like citrates, and we expect to see a low ionised calcium and a high total. Um, You can get it from massive transfusion, which is really just citrate in disguise, because there's all citrate in the blood products. You can see it with a high phosphate level, where the phosphate binds the calcium. You can see it in sepsis, which comes from multiple mechanisms, including parathyroid hormone suppression. Um, You can see it in thyroid or neck surgery. Uh, You can see it in low vitamin D, like us poor Irish people, or poor sun exposure, low intake, malabsorption, liver disease, renal failure. All of those can lead to low vitamin D. D. There are a variety of drug-induced versions of hypocalcemia that include bisphosphonates, propofol, EDTA, ethylene glycol, protamine, and even gentamicin. And um, the one of that list that I always remember that is completely useless is that MRI contrast and um, the gadolinium can actually cause a form of pseudohypocalcemia. It's a bit like the, panc- uh, the scorpion bites for causes of pancreatitis. It's nice and irrelevant, but for some reason sticks in your head. Many of those above causes of hypocalcemia are associated with alkalosis and indeed you can actually form a separate differential for hypocalcemia in the context of acidosis. And this is a nice list that includes acute kidney injury, tumor lysis syndrome, rhabdomyolysis, pancreatitis, ethylene glycol and hydrofluoric acid. 
management of hypocalcemia is both incredibly straightforward in that you just replace the calcium, but at the same time it's desperately complicated in that you need to treat the cause, which is often incredibly challenging. A final mention is probably warranted of vitamin D in critical illness, given that it has been spread across the literature in recent years and is currently subject to lots of ongoing work. It is thought to have what is best described as, um, quote, pleiotropic effects, uh, in quotation marks. It is also similar to cortisol in that serum levels probably don't reflect cellular activity. Either way, there's no clear rule for it in the ICU as yet, so don't feel bad if you're not prescribing it. Okay, until next time, thanks for listening. 